on earth are we? Why in heaven are we here? And how to make sense of this mess of our humanness and perhaps even transcend it. Welcome everyone to season two of Dawn of an Era of Well-Being, where we deep dive into uplift with insight, thanks to remarkably informed guests exploring the nature of our human nature and how to better engage it. If abnormal is the new normal and perceiving is the new believing, then inner is the new outer and consciousness is our new source for healing. Yet for many, it seems like anything but the dawn of an era of well-being. From pandemia to war to economic, environmental, and even democratic breakdown and more, as space exploration advances at breakneck pace, all of them share center stage in this overheated emotional climate that our species struggles to navigate. So what's going on? Well, if you look at it from the outside in, it's the same old conflictual story getting rather scary. Now we're raising the bar by raising awareness that this mess of our humanness can only be resolved from the insight out as in vision that emanates from a profound shift in perception about the world around us and within us. Precisely the thrust of Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing podcast and very insightful book. I'm Alison Goldwyn, and we're in a mighty discussion space featuring mighty voices for loving change, two of whom are our esteemed co-hosts, Irvin Laszlo, a two-time Nobel Peace Prize nominee, world-renowned philosopher and system scientist, author or co-author of over 106 books, founder of the Laszlo Institute of New Paradigm Research and the Club of Budapest, and recipient of multiple honors and awards like the Goya Peace Prize, the Assisi Mandir of Peace Prize, and the Luxembourg Peace Prize. And Fred Sau, business leader, author, futurist, practitioner of Eastern wisdom and Western science, chairman of the Family Business Network's Ambassador Circle, and founder of ITEA Institute and Octave Institute, fusing ancient wisdom and quantum science as a platform for people to achieve a purposeful life, mindfully lived at new levels of consciousness and freedom. Today's unusual guest is Dr. Alberto Violdo. I hope I pronounced that correctly, Alberto, but you'll correct me if I didn't. He's a medical anthropologist, psychologist, and shaman who studied the spiritual practices of the Amazon and the Andes for more than 30 years. While at San Francisco State University, he founded the Biological Self-Regulation Laboratory to study how the mind creates psychosomatic health and disease. Founder of the Four Winds Society, he instructs individuals throughout the world in the practice of energy medicine. Dr. Violdo has written numerous best-selling books, including Power Up Your Brain, The Neuroscience of Enlightenment with Dr. David Perlmutter, Shaman, Healer, Sage and Wall Street Journal bestseller, One Spirit Medicine. This is a very interesting discussion today. And before we start, I want to read an elucidating passage from Fred that uh, he wrote for Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing. I believe it's on page 64. It says, well-being and wellness, it should be noted, are not the same. Well-being is an aspirational state of life, while wellness refers to the interventions humans perform on themselves to improve their health. Our state of living is not always well, and sometimes there is a need for measures that bring us closer to alignment and the universe. A blessed life is achieved by following the Tao, achieving unification, and the result is authentic living with joy. 
wellness is an important part of well-being in both the body and the mind. On that fascinating note, I'm going to turn it over to Irvin and then eventually to Fred. But let's start with you, Irvin. Well, I, I welcome this tremendous opportunity to speak again with Alberto Villoldo, whom I met many years ago. We're looking forward to meeting again in person. But let's make the most of this opportunity. The whole issue of mind and, the, and, and its role in the current situation of, of, of the planet and of Earth and of humanity on Earth is absolutely a crucial issue. To shed light on it, as Alberto Villoldo had, is a tremendous treasure these days. I just want to add that I feel that discussions like this, talking about the role of mind and consciousness in creating a world that humans can live in, that can strive together with the rest of life on planet, that is one of the key issues of our time. This is one of the key necessities to look into this. So this program, and it is many podcasts, many episodes, always with unique personalities who have contributed to this great challenge, is a great tre treasure and a great resource. So I'm delighted, without further ado, to say that I look forward to a discussion with Fred, as always, and with Alberto Rivoldo of Chile and of the whole civilized world. Thank you for this opportunity. Wonderful. Welcome, Alberto. Uh, would you like to say Thank a you. few words before I pose a little question to jumpstart the conversation? Yes, it's an honor to be with you today. It's a pleasure. I know that we are all working together to really launch the start of a new humanity because the old humanity is really becoming extinct and has really not done a very good job of itself. And uh, this is what the shamans call dreaming a new world into being. And um, and it's done as, like the Tao says, when nothing is done, nothing is left undone. It has to be a, an inner emergence of uh, of a consciousness and of a set of behaviors and values that um, that are in contrast to the ones that we've been living so far. So it's an honor for me to be with with you today and with Urban that. I met years ago, and, and I've um, admired your work for a very long time. Thank you. Wonderful. I know we're, we're eager, and Fred as well is going to be eager to pose questions and share wisdom. But I want to start with this and see what you all think. It seems that our archaic limbic brain has dominated and defined us for ages, yet there were periods in ancient history where we did indeed flourish. So is this now merely a question of, uh, shall we say, stimulating and exercising our atrophied musculature to maintain this new brain, um, you know, to stimulate our spiritual musculature and keep it limber to avoid contracting back into its historic, habitually destructive position? Alberto, would you like to start? Sure. You know, the, the limbic brain is a very ancient brain. We shared it with the Neanderthals. And when I was at San Francisco State, I was directing a small brain laboratory to see if we could create psychosomatic health because we knew we could create psychosomatic disease. But there's no part of the brain that's bad. It's just that 
this is a very outdated brain that has four operating programs, which are fears, fear-based, is the amygdala, it's fear, feeding, hoarding, have, you know, this is mine and I have to protect what's mine and I'm not sharing. Fear, feeding, fighting, aggression, projecting the enemy out to the other, and predatory sexuality. So this is, this is a brain that was really important when we had, you know, jaguars and lions stalking us, but today it's kind of, it's still, it's important, it's an important brain, but it cannot be in the driver's seat any longer. We have to really upgrade to the, to the higher brain of, of science, of logic, of music, of, of quantum physics, of interconnectedness, of mystical experiences. So yes, it's time for that new brain that's going to help us have a new, a new humanity and right relationship with the earth. Mm. But the, the problem, of course, is how do we get to it? And this is what the shamans of old mastered, even though they didn't know the brain and the neuroanatomy and neurons and neurotransmitters, they knew how to access these, these ancient, these, this is the birthright of every human is to awaken these extraordinary capabilities of the mind. And um, this is why I, I have stopped identifying with the, with the science part. Science is important, and more with the, um, with the ancient wisdom, which is so necessary today to, uh, for us to have a new relationship with the Earth. Hmm. I want to say, you, we are talking about tapping the source, going back, going to the origins. Now, we can't just go to the limbic brain. We have to overcome it, actually. How do, does a shaman, how can a shaman help us to tap into this source again, to, to, to be able to choose how our brain operates and overcome the old limbic, fear-based brain? What could a shaman do? What did you do as a shaman? What can we learn from you? Yeah. Well, first, the shamans were biologists. They were very careful observers of nature. And they noticed that there were only three species, and today we know this from science, three species in the planet that did not have death programmed into their DNA. And these were humans, whales and dolphins, orcas. Every other, the 40 million species in the planet, 39.9 million, died when they were no longer reproductively viable. They, there are no grandmothers in nature. Grandmothers don't exist in nature, except for these three species. The orca grandmothers teach the young how to communicate, how to hunt. Our grandmothers were the wisdom keepers. So we're taking part in an experiment in intelligence, what biology calls intelligence and what the ancients call spirituality which is consciousness. These three species are, have been selected. And biology is always experimenting. And we, let me give you a quick example of another experiment. In the Andes, the people that live in very high altitude, where I did my research as an anthropologist, the experiment was big hearts, short stature, big hearts, a lot of hemoglobin, oxygen transport. The experiment in the Himalayas was different. 
in the Himalayas was more mitochondria, energy factories inside every cell. The experiment in the Himalayas succeeded because the Sherpas can climb up to Mount Everest without oxygen. But in the Andes, it didn't work out very well. People were dying young at high altitude. So biology is continually experimenting. And we're part of a critical experiment right now where a new species is being born in the planet. The, the shamans of old predicted the birth of a human that they call homo, homo luminous, not homo sapiens. So the thing is, how do you take part in that evolutionary process? How do you awaken this higher brain to be able to be part of the experiment that biology is taking, you know, has invited us to participate in? They did it with certain diets, certain foods that they ate, with certain plants, certain visionary plants, certain uh, practices, meditation, contemplation practices. And uh, they discovered that when you combine these three with the lifestyle, the contemplation, feeding that brain fats instead of sugars, breaking out of the Western diet that's killing us today, that, that you would access these these capabilities, and, but you had to, you, and when you access this brain, you experience oneness, you experience bliss, you began to produce the, the brain chemicals for bliss and not for stress, not the, the adrenaline, the cortisol, the stress hormones, but the bliss hormones, which were the endogenous um, psychedelics, the endogenous sacred plants that we manufacture inside the brain, very small amount. When we meditate, when we make love, when we are born and when we die. So this, the shamans of old discovered how we could take part in that experiment. And the, and in the East, they, of course, the, the experiment was done through the practice of meditation. And in, uh, in the West, you know, we contemplate that experiment through prayer. And the mystics, the ancient, the Christian mystics were great examples of this. The shamans did that through what they call journeying. The displacing of consciousness through space and time to, uh, to break free of the bonds of, of temporality, of, to discover a kind of time that didn't fly in one, go in one direction only, that didn't fly like an arrow, but that turned like a wheel where you could, you could future track, you could tell where, you could guide the villagers to where the fish were going to be the next day, or the hunters to where the buffalo were going to be, or, or, or humanity to where humanity could evolve into. So they, they, were, they were ancient researchers, and when I was a graduate student, um, in, uh, I learned that, that Native American peoples were stupid because they were illiterate. If you cannot read or write, you're illiterate, and that means that you're not smart. And I would, I would ask my professors, well, how could they build pyramids if they were stupid or illiterate? You need mathematics, you need, you know, they were astronomers, they were architects. But the greatest technologies were not the outer technologies, but the inner ones. And this is, you know, we have a great heritage coming from the East and, and you know, from Fred's background and, and his research. And, and the, in the Eastern traditions, the Chinese and the, 
they left us a body of written knowledge, beautiful, the sutras, the, the Vedas, the exquisite, but in the Americas, there was no writing. It was all an oral tradition. So we don't have access to that form of learning that's so Western or so, really, if you have a written tradition, you have access to 5,000 years of wisdom. We don't have that with shamanism. And that's one of the, one of the great um, uh, voids that we have in these traditions that um, were nearly obliterated with the conquest, with the arrival of the Spanish. I would love to ask a question, but Irvin, are you about to say something? I don't want to interrupt, and then I want to bring Fred in. No, I mean, I'm, I'm just recognizing this admiration what Alberto can say, how shamanism is the most practical thing that you could have today for creating a new old brain and how we could practice that. Tell, I hope that in this program, Alberto will come back and tell us a little bit how young people, how people who are eager to do an open, how can they can start out on the road to shamanism, to becoming shamans. Maybe we could create small groups that can change the world, small groups of shamans that can change the world. It's a fantastic prospect, has not been explored. So I look forward to some of these practical comments from Alberto, but I think you want, you want to go on first this spread and, and then we see how we go. Yes, indeed. Yeah, and can, I, just, can, oh, can yes. I just jump in on that just very briefly? Thank you, Urban. And you know, in, just to finish with the brain, the limbic brain needs ceremony in order to change. And that's why you have ceremonies everywhere in the world, in every culture. That brain will not change unless it has ceremony, and ideally a sacred ceremony. So here's that's one of the contributions, I think, of these ancient uh, traditions. I love the word ceremony. And before I bring Fred into the loop, I want to suggest that because you made an incredibly important point about not losing the wisdom, the ancient wisdom and the shamanic uh, traditions that are not written down because the West is such a visual culture, might it be that we can visualize shamanism through videos, ceremonies uh, that are almost, um, I don't, edutainment, entertainment and education at the same time that showcase shamanism so that that could be more of a Western way to preserve the traditions while we have the great works written uh, from the East and, and preserved in that way. But think about that. And Fred, let me bring you into the conversation because you look like you're bursting yeah. too. <laughs> and I, and I'll, I'll be happy to share a little ceremony with you later that we can do with fire, with a candle. So yes, Fred, <laughs> come to you. Thank you. Interesting. The uh, shaman word in Chinese called Wu, and it's written with one stroke on the top, one stroke on the bottom, a line that connecting, and then two men. Which means that Wu, which is shaman, can connect and talk to heaven and earth and men. And so therefore they become the holder of wisdom. Because they're the holder of the knowledge between heaven, earth and men. So first of all, the word shaman in Chinese writing means that. 
unchanged. Shamanism still exists in China because you can't find them, but they exist just like in South America. And then Taoists, they're shamans. So we understand the history of Taoism. There's two tranches. One is the two tranches of Taoism. One is Zhen Yi, is Quan And it happened because Taoism being brought in like organization management. It become part of that in managing the country. And it was a boo-boo. And the country was lost. And the emperor was very unhappy. Taoism split. The one that does ceremonial, ritualistic, and the one is in the mountain doing their own journey. But for a long time, since then, Taoism was out of politics. Every dynasty embraced Confucianism because it's ethics, but they choose to use Taoism or Buddhism as its foundation. But one dynasty lost totally because of the wrong Taoist monk. They call Guo Si. Guo Si means the teacher of the country. And Taoism lost it. So, we have to understand from China, shamanism still exists, even with communism, but deep, deep into the countryside. And so we have to understand we move from a shamanistic worldview, which is a naturalistic worldview, to a religious worldview, to age of enlightenment into a scientific materialistic worldview, into now in the rebirth of a new awakening of a new worldview, which is bridging between physics and metaphysics with quantum science and life science and medical science. This very unusual period in evolution, and evolution never stopped. You think, oh, materialists progress, it's like we're going backwards. No, we never go backwards. Evolution energy continues. Only in our mind we go forward and backwards. We do not go forward or backwards. We're in this flux of constantly evolving. But what common, uh, what, uh, uh, shamanism, uh, which is so much part of the modern mind, body, and spirit, and so is psychology and every bit emerging. It's like a ticking start of this new era where we're running away from religion into creating a non-religious spirituality, which I think is not necessary, but it's a reaction. And shamanism actually plays a very big part on the modern mind-body-spirit, which is heavy on healing. Bit of Eastern Zen that makes into mindfulness, shamanism, and the shy of religion. Because this is part of the response that we're at today. And yet all human wisdom is for our use. 
including shamanism. But why is shamanism especially important in this era? Because everything goes into a rhythm, goes into cycle. And shamanism is naturalism. And we're trying to find out who we are and live an authentic life. So shamanism, medical, plant medicine, psychedelic, all plays a role of coming to have a shift into finding who we are. <coughs> Socrates say, know thyself, for I have found I know nothing. And thyself is nature of nature of self. That's what shamanism is. Nature. Of nature. Alberto, then, that, that is so beautifully expressed, and I want to ask you, therefore, if shamanism is nature, but so much of the world is, at this moment, completely disconnected from nature, and much of the world not all of it, but good parts are living in dense cities, uh, um, uh, atmospheres that are really contrary to the very notion of nature. Uh, how is it that we, how, how do we encourage this energetic, this shamanic energetic to be present? It's almost like it feels to many people like working against gravity. Is What do you say to this? I always think of monks that live, you know, uh, and pray, and they're up in the monasteries in Tibet and other remote regions where they're in, encircled by and uh, enclosed within an ambiance that's supportive of, as I imagine you've encountered in these tiny hamlets and jungles that you visited over so many years of your research. So how do people in the cities, in the dense cities and the energy of the city life access this find this balance you know we have to return to nature in the sh shamanic traditions that i trained in you know i first went anthro as an anthropologist taking a camera shooting movies interviewing and then one of the shamans said to me alberto we have to heal you first and i said but I'm 30 years old. I'm in perfect health. He says, no, we have to heal your ignorance, your stupidity. <laughs> so I think that we have to begin with that kind of healing and the understanding. You know, physicists tell us that 95% of reality is invisible. They call it dark matter, or dark energy. And shamans tell us 95% of reality is also invisible. It's the invisible world, which is natural. It's not supernatural. It's part of the natural world. It's just simply the invisible part of it. And the, um, now, many years ago, I was in the Amazon and I would, I cut myself and I was putting some antibiotic cream and this medicine woman says, what, why are you, what are you doing with that cream? We have some herbs. She said, well, you know, they're the, these invisible bacteria that that could be that could become infectious, and they go, oh, invisible bacteria. What are they? They're invisible beings. And she says, like spirits. And I go, no, like bacteria. She says, oh no, if it's invisible, it's got to be spirits. 
So the following month, I take one of the microscopes from the laboratory and I take it down to the Amazon and I put a drop of rainwater that I took from a leaf and I put it in a slide and I call the, the elders of the village to come and to look at and they go, my God, there's a world in there. <laughs> said, yeah, these are the invisible beings that I was telling you about. They're called bacteria. <laughs> and they go, wow. So it's easier for me to convince a shaman that bacteria exist than for me to convince a scientist that the invisible world, on you know, unless you're talking to a physicist, that the invisible world is real. It's populated. It's full of consciousness. Consciousness is the nature of reality. So this is the very first step. It's a return to nature. It's not only going for a walk in the woods, but restoring your gut flora. This is your ecosystem. This is where all of these bacteria migrated to the forest inside your gut because that's where they found the most food. And then we have a symbiotic relationship with them. But our relationship to nature is parasitic. It's not symbiotic. It's we, we humans take, take, take without giving back. So, so connecting to nature doesn't mean only getting out of the city. It means connecting to the invisible world, connecting to the mystery. Connecting to the mystery. And the, um, one of the early things that struck me when I was in the Amazon is that for an Amazon person, there's no difference between being killed by a microbe and being killed by a jaguar. They're, they're the same thing. You have to be in right relationship with microbes and with jaguars. Otherwise, they're both going to look at you as lunch. But for us in the West, being killed by a microbe is an illness, and being killed by a jaguar is bad luck. So there are fundamental differences in, in, in worldviews that, that we have to explore today, especially as our old worldview, or what we call a paradigm, is collapsing around us. And which is a very patriarchal, reductionistic, masculine, atomistic paradigm. And the shamanic is a very feminine. It's, it's not objective, it's subjective, it's participatory. And that's beginning to make place for itself again to, you know, again, this is the balancing between yin and yang and the masculine, feminine, the cyclical nature of these changes. And um, so today, I believe that we have to become shamans versed in, in science, but not only in Western science and definitely not in medical science, because most of medical science is really bad science. It's flawed. When, when you have the editor of the most prominent medical journal in the world, The Lancet, saying that half of the articles that they publish are bogus. It's an interesting article. It's called, Where is Medicine's Five Sigma? It's five Sigma is the level of reliability and validity. And he's saying half of the science that we publish is bad. We just don't know which half. So <laughs> we have to find that we to rediscover that ancient science that's participatory, that's based on 
on experience and and on exploring using the mind to study the mind and not only to study the world, not in, not only to study physical reality. But we're in a very exciting time because as this old paradigm is crumbling, tremendous opportunities are presenting themselves. Uh, exactly, exactly. This is what we are devoting ourselves more and more in this group, you see. I have myself, champion, tried to represent a, what you call the new paradigm. Fred was talking about the quantum paradigm. They're talking about the same thing. I have created the, the Laszlo Institute for New Paradigm Research. The mm -hmm. key, I think, to many of the issues today is to recognize the faultiness of dualism and materialism in the classic mode. Recognize that we are not outside of nature and not above it. That we are together form part of a larger whole. And that whole is the sphere of life. How to access that? I mean, there are so many ways. What you are describing here is a one important way that is not as well known as many others. In medicine, as I think I know, you know, and I've been very much involved, although I'm not a medical person, I've been involved with a new paradigm in medicine, which you call the information medicine, based on information and on frequencies, on energy, energy levels, and, uh, and the equilibrating the body's energy flows. I think this also, it was used to be called an alternative medicine, is now becoming a complementary medicine, complementing mm -hmm. classical approaches. We still need surgery when it's necessary. We still need antibiotics when they're necessary. But to keep healthy, to maintain health, we need to know that the whole body is an information system coupled to the information system of life and of the universe. And this new old knowledge which is surfacing now is one of the most most remarkable and, and, and most uh, most encouraging aspects of what is happening today. We, we used to we used to look at food as calories and now we're looking at food as information and how certain foods will switch on the genes that create health, and we call it epigenetics, and silence the genes that create diseases. It's all information, and ultimately, now the shamans differentiate between information and wisdom. Information is knowing that water is H2O, but wisdom is being able to make it rain. So it's the, the quality of the information, of that wisdom, that can create health or create or create disease and that can create a uh, a new relationship with with the earth that's symbiotic and collaborative and of stewardship well that's the wisdom the wisdom of the body is, is the wisdom of the universe also and to, to tap into that to become really closer to that not at that level of that's something we have to learn you have to acquire, as you acquire a bit of knowledge by repeating it. It's something that we have to become, becoming the change, as Gandhi said, that we want to see. But that change that we need to become is to recognize that we are part of a vibrating frequency, frequency defined and the whole system of which life is a manifestation. And the energy 
what you are, what the shamans are doing, what the new medicine is doing. Time and, and space transcending, transcending across time and space. Many of the aspects of this new medicine work over distance. I have friends who practice this remote healing. I'm sure yeah. you, have, you have experience on that as well. Yeah, yeah. I was in uh, I was in a mountaintop in the Andes years ago, telling a group of shamans about uh, chaos theory, and you know about the butterfly that flapped its wings in Beijing and st started a storm in the Caribbean. And after I finished telling them that, one of them says, "Okay, Alberto, show us." And I go, "What do you mean, show you? This is this is physics. This is no show." And I had a brand new PhD. And they said, come on, flap your little doctor wings and heal somebody in India. And I said, I can't do that. They said, we can. <laughs> so, and nowadays, I think there is a, a new branch of medicine coming together, formation, which is practicing remote healing. I am being healed today, I just want to tell you on a personal level. I'm, I've been being healed for decades now, over distance, yeah. remote. You know, it's an experience that is incontrovertible. It does exist. It does work, and it's amazing. We are non-local beings. We can non-locally interact, and we can heal ourselves. You have known that, and the shamans have known that. We need to rediscover it and put it into practice. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you. I have a question, though, Fred, maybe you would like to address this. Do you feel that, that Irvin is saying that he has been healed remotely over years and, and this is very real? Do you feel that a person has to have first a, an openness, a willingness, a predisposition to the idea of this? Or can someone who's even resistant or fearful um, be touched by remote healing. What comes first, the chicken or the egg, in a sense? Well, first of all, from my perspective, healing is related with consciousness. So a lot of times we do it in the healing, and we say, oh, there's so many traumas, we have to heal, things like that. And that's like uh, picking sand out of your eyes where you live next to the beach. Do you know how many trauma we have? Nonviolent communication. Every time somebody judges, we get a little trauma. And so the only way is to shift consciousness and we move away from the beach. You can never heal all your trauma by picking it out of your eyes one at a time, which we do in here. Shifting very, very little bit of consciousness. Now we're going to information. We have, according to the Buddhist tradition, eight level of consciousness. Sixth level is the uh, iceberg theory consciousness. Seventh level is your subconscious, and the eighth level is your unconscious, which Freud called id. Now that it has many levels within. And so that's where the seed is, the id. Everything is quantum entanglement that arises for resonance and projections. 
And so we have a worldview which is very different. But shaman, they surrender. To them, everything is what it should be. And they try to understand the omen or the calling from the universe is talking to them. And that's no different from Christianity talking about doing God's will and calling and connecting the Holy Spirit. They're talking about the same thing with a different languaging, different period, different structure. We haven't changed from the very original. Evolution is like a spiral. We go in circles and we think we're progressing. But we're actually going in circles. But yeah, we're progressing a little. Evolution is always progressing. So let me just ask something then, Fred, because I know that we have to wind this down very soon. And this pivots me to an important question for Alberto about (laughs) circling the same thing over and over again, perhaps on a different rung of the spiral. Alberto, wellness versus balance. Well-being and wellness are certainly becoming trendy in the best sense, but we know that trends themselves can be upended by ego and become unhealthy. So within this critical emerging domain, how important is the word balance to the equation, given that people are hungry for a healthy fix and yet the propensity to overeat? Is it possible, in other words, to overdose or overeat on consciousness? Well, (laughs) thank you for that question. And, you know, to me, it's such an honor and a pleasure to to be with Fred and Irvin and to to hear them that uh, I just as soon listen to them. But I'll I'll try to give you my take on it is that if you're going to get indigestion, it better be on consciousness (laughs) because you, you can heal much more rapidly and it doesn't destroy your flora like other kinds of indigestion do. And the, um, here, the, the quandary that the shamans face is that there's certain things that you cannot solve. And there's certain things that you can not heal unless you address the core fundamental question, which is, who am I? And when you get to the series of, first you begin by who I am not, and then ultimately you begin to have an experience of who you are. And then ultimately you can't, you have a realization that you don't really exist as an ego. And that you're part of this fluid process of creation and co-creation that has acquired identity for a particular reason and purpose, which is to be able to serve a, a, um, um, part of a sacred plan or be part of a sacred unfolding. And then the, sh- the shaman acquires the power to, to create health. But it, it has to transcend the, the personal need or necessity for that. So at a very high level of health, we, we create that. We create our health the same way we create our illnesses. It has to be supported by what we eat by how we, how we love and how we forgive and how do we craft a sacred journey in our lives that is in service to a higher calling. I, I like to add to complete what I've 
let's finish up with the earlier questions that you push. Actually, the Chinese medicine says the origin of all sickness is ignorance of reality. That brings into the topic of balance. Balance is because we have this dualistic reality. We have balance between yin and yang. Yin yang is not separable. So we have to change from a balanced separatist thinking into holistic integrating thinking. We'll move away independent transactional event to understand the holistic understanding, which you call system within a system within a system, system theory, which Ivan is part of. We have to understand chaos is nothing but part of the creation process. So the dualistic mindset of materialism, of finding balance and blah, 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 is a language we have to get rid of because that is a language of the past. In the new integrative holistic reality where we seek oneness and wellness and well-being, this language must get out of our system because they affect our belief system, they affect our thoughts. And with thoughts, we create reality in the dualistic world. Thank you. Love it. Irvin, final words, love that. Just an invitation to Alberto. What he is doing, what he has been doing and continues to do is so important and relatively unknown, relatively. It's known to experts and known to shamans. An invitation to contribute, to help us do research into this, to write up his conclusions. We have this research institute, the Laszlo Institute of New Paradigm Research, and this is a research topic par excellence. How can this state of mind, which the shamans have developed, which people of spiritual nature and practice have been developing east and west, how can we bring this to the people today so that they can benefit from it? There's a very great need for it. This is part of returning to nature. One of the paths of the past, one of the avenues for returning to nature in an effective and practical way. So I hope that Alberto will consider this invitation and write us an article, write us a book. We'll have to read this out. I think there's a great need for it and it will be our pleasure and privilege to do that. Mm. Thank you, Urban. Thank you. And, and I accept. Thank you for that invitation. I think it's important to bring the Southern, the ancient Americas into the uh, conversation. And I am Thank you for inviting me to be part of this conversation with you today. It has been an absolute joy. I wish we had more time to actually visualize and vivify some of the shamanic practices, but maybe a video of that will also ensue after you finish writing the book for Irvin. <laughs> we'll keep you busy. <laughs> well, that concludes today's really insightful and uh, compelling discussion with our hosts, Irvin Lazo and Fred Sow, and our shamanic wonder, Alberto Vialdo. Thank you. <laughs>
<laughs> and to our worldwide audience, as well as our wonderful production team led by Nora Cesar, Kenichi Sugihara, Webmaster Fabrizio Beria, and those many wonderful at ITEA Institute. I'm Alison Goldwyn, inviting you to join us for more podcast episodes and to gift a copy of Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing book to yourself or a loved one. It's a wonderful companion during challenging times from whatever nation state or emotional state you might be in. Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing is the place to tune in. The bravado of our ego has historically gotten the better of us, so this time, when building that new paradigm for humankind, let's include humankindness. Stay tuned and stay attuned. Thank you for joining us. Dawn of an Era of Well-Being is a co-production of the Laszlo Institute, ITEA Institute, and Select Books. It's produced by Nora Cesar and Kenichi Sugihara, with theme music Chimera by Piba Dupont. The book, Dawn of an Era of Well-Being, co-authored by Irvin Laszlo and Frederick Sal, is available wherever books or e-books are sold. Please subscribe to Dawn of an Era of Well-Being, the podcast, on Apple or Spotify for more fascinating guests and discussion. My name is Alison Goldwyn, founder and creative director of Synchronistory.com, a future party for the planet broadcast live worldwide, wishing you well-being till we talk again next week. Bye.